Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Today we'll talk about two out of the four marks or attributes of the Catholic Church. The Nicene Creed, remember we're working our way through part one, section two, each line of the Nicene Creed, talks about how the church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Those are the four marks, attributes, significant characteristics of the church. And today we'll talk about the first two. The church is one, and the church is holy. When we look around at the Catholic Church, it often seems that the church is neither one nor holy. Uh, Like we discussed a couple of weeks ago, the existence of the church depends entirely on the existence of Christ. So the church is one only because God is one, and the church is holy only because God is holy. Paragraph 813 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, The church is one because of her source. The highest exemplar and source of this mystery is the unity in the Trinity of Persons of one God, the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. The church is one because of her founder. For the Word made flesh, the Prince of Peace reconciled all men to God by the cross, restoring the unity of all in one people and one body. The church is one because of her soul. It is the Holy Spirit dwelling in those who believe and pervading and ruling over the entire church who brings about that wonderful communion of the faithful and joins them together so intimately in Christ that he is the principle of the church's unity. Unity is of the essence of the church. What an astonishing mystery. There is one Father of the universe, one Logos of the universe, and also one Holy Spirit everywhere one and the same. There's also one virgin become mother, and I should like to call her church. That's a quote from St. Clement of Alexandria. So the catechism very beautifully and succinctly goes through a number of reasons as to why the church is one. So it says, first, the church is one because of her source. The source of the church is the Trinity, our belief that God is three persons in one God. So we are a monotheistic religion. We believe in one God. We are not a polytheistic religion or a belief in many gods, as though there are three different gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three persons are one God, equal in their divinity and inseparable from one another. The Catechism goes on to say that the church is one because of her founder, so Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, here referred to as the Prince of Peace. He has many titles. Um, But again, the Catechism beautifully states because he is the Prince of Peace, he has reconciled all men to God through his suffering and death on the cross and also reconciled um, or given all men and women the opportunity to be reconciled with one another. So the church is one because of her source, the Trinity, two because of her founder, Jesus Christ, who brought her back into communion, into oneness with God, and each of us into unity with one another. And then lastly, the church is one because of her soul, the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity, who dwells in, quote unquote, those who believe and pervading and ruling over the entire church. So the Holy Spirit continues to work in and through the church, uniting her to God and each of us to each other. The catechism we'll see today in the second half of the episode also goes on to discuss the quote-unquote bonds of unity or visible signs of communion. 
uh, just a few paragraphs later, a couple paragraphs later, paragraph 815. So the Catechism says that there are a few signs or bonds of unity which show us and show the world that we are one. So first, we profess one faith. So through the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Nicene Creed, we profess one and the same faith, no matter the Catholic Church, uh, no matter the parish, no matter where you are in the world. Secondly, we have a common celebration of divine worship, especially of the sacraments. So we celebrate the same seven sacraments and with little differences, little cultural differences, um, we celebrate them the same way. Lastly, we recognize the same apostolic succession through the sacrament of holy orders. So I mentioned in an early episode that I used to have this poster hanging in the front of my classroom, which started with a picture of St. Peter and then listed all the names and pictures of the Pope's up until I think Pope John Paul II was, was Pope at the time when I bought it. Um, so we, we all acknowledge this, this straight line from St. Peter, established as the first Pope by Christ himself in Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19. And we see a straight line, one line, a unified line that keeps us one, uh, going through 2,000 years of history to straight through to Pope Francis today. It's that second bond of unity that Uh, just always gets me. I continue to marvel at the fact that no matter where you are in the world, what time period, um, what cultural difference, you know, you celebrate, it's the same mass with the same readings, the same sacramental grace being poured out upon God's people. When I was a, a sophomore at Steubenville, I studied abroad in Austria, and Austria borders on eight different countries. And so I was very blessed to be able to travel throughout many countries in Europe. And no matter if I was in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, Sacré-Cœur in Paris, France, uh, St. Stephen's in Vienna, Austria, it was the same Mass with the same readings. And it was, in fact, the same Mass that was being celebrated back home in the Philadelphia area in the United States, uh, which is just so simple but so awesome that... Again, the church is one. She professes the same faith, celebrates the same sacraments, recognizes the same leadership, the Pope, no matter where you are, who you are, and what you're doing. Um, I recall this one moment where I was trying to get with some friends to Pérez le Monial, uh, the place in France where the Sacred Heart of Jesus appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. When we first got to our Steubenville campus in Austria, the director of student life, you know, kind of instructed each of us how to travel in a, a charitable and kind of cosmopolitan way. And one of the, the dictates was don't be the ugly American. Don't assume that everyone will speak English and just do things your way, but try to adapt to the culture, honor the culture, and if you can, speak the language. So as we're trying to make our way to this the site where the Sacred Heart appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. I had taken four years of French in high school, and so I was doing my best to converse with uh, an employee at the train station, figuring out train schedules, how do we get there. So I'm going on and on for a few minutes in my, my best French, and then I got as far as I could and couldn't go any further, and uh, I said, I'm so sorry, do you speak English by any chance? 
And the gentleman, after listening to me for a good seven minutes, says in English, ah, you're doing great. Keep going. (laughs) Thanks, man. So despite language barriers and cultural differences, here we were, a group of Americans trying to get to the site of the apparition of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, whom we recognize and reverence and love in the United States, Um, French men and women recognize and love and reverence in France, and people throughout the world recognize love and reverence as well. So how awesome that despite being a, a very specific apparition to a specific saint in a specific country, it is extended to all, okay, to every member of the church as she's united in the Trinity. I think, too, of the time that I lived and worked in Managua, Nicaragua. I was, again, far from home, speaking a different language, now Spanish instead of French. And again, I'd go to Mass uh, every Sunday and sometimes daily throughout the week. And I would think, wow, I'm hearing the same readings, the same gospel passage as my family back in the Philadelphia area. And I could, as I learned Spanish, I could pick out some of the words, you know, Cordero de Dios, the Lamb of God, Nuestro Padre, our Father. Um, Because I was familiar with, you know, these phrases, thanks to being part of the the one Holy Catholic Apostolic Church, uh, these phrases were used in English and in the United States. And so I could could pick them out and participate in the same sacrament, the same Mass. One day after attending uh, daily Mass for for weeks, they were short uh, a lector, and someone asked me to read. I was like, "Eh, not that good yet. You might want to ask someone else. So the Church is one because her source, the Trinity, is one. Her founder, Christ, the Prince of Peace, has united the members of the church to each other and to God. And the third person of the the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, continues to work in and through the church. The second mark of the church is that she is holy. Again, the church is holy because God is holy, not because of our own merits or anything we have done or are currently doing. Paragraph 823 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, The church is held as a matter of faith to be unfailingly holy, This is because Christ, the Son of God, who with the Father and the Spirit is hailed as alone holy, loved the church as his bride, giving himself up for her so as to sanctify her. He joined her to himself as his body and endowed her with the gift of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. The church, then, is the holy people of God, and her members are called saints. So Christ, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is quote-unquote alone holy and wed himself to her. So we refer to Christ as the bridegroom, the church as the bride of Christ. Christ in suffering and dying for her has wed himself to the church, has given his life to the church out of love for her. In doing so, he has sanctified her or made her, made each and every one of us holy or given us the capacity to be holy. The next paragraph, paragraph 824, goes on to say that the church is holy because she's united to Christ. She then or each one of us as members of the church, become a source of holiness for others, God willing, for all others whom we meet. So God, who's a trinity of three persons, giving and receiving love, giving and receiving love, giving and receiving love for all of eternity, is like this loving holiness generator. And when we hook ourselves up to him, hook ourselves up to God, really it's God who hooks himself up to us, 
it's like we're shot through with that infinite love and holiness. And then if you hook anyone or anything else up to us, they too are shot through with that infinite love and holiness. My kids like to watch uh, this cartoon on Netflix called Grizzy and the Lemmings. It's about this bear and then these little lemmings that follow him around. And Grizzy, for whatever reason, the bear, will often touch electric poles. I'm not sure why. And in many episodes has like this little zap of electrocution. The little lemmings then will touch him and they too are electrocuted or charged up by his source of electrocution. So in an analogous way, when we're united with Christ, uh, we are sanctified by him, through him and with him, and then we in turn become sanctifying. So Christ, who the source of, of electric love and holiness, zaps us, and then anyone or anything with whom we come into contact, God willing, get zapped by that source of love and holiness. Speaking of power generators of love and holiness, and being hooked up to the source and summit of love and holiness, what a better concrete way to be united to Christ, to God himself, to the source of unity and of holiness, than to receive the Eucharist. So I've heard lots of reasons over the years as to why people go to Mass. Um, you know, one, we, we know that the third commandment is to keep holy the Sabbath. This includes attending Mass on Sundays. I've had people say to me, like, ah, it's a great way to start the day. Going to daily Mass just kicks my day off right. Um, other people will say, like, oh, it's a beautiful way to gather with family, friends, parish, the community. But I believe the best reason is that we receive God himself in and through the Eucharist. So his body, blood, soul, and divinity into our very bodies and souls. He who is the source of love, of unity, of holiness, of truth, beauty, goodness, he who is life itself fills us with himself so that we too become generators of all those wonderful things for others, for, again, God willing, all those whom we meet. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life within you. If we want life, life itself, the source of life, life abundantly within us, why aren't we receiving him every day? Um, it's hard to balance our life circumstances. Uh, many of us are, are caring for others or because of the timing of leaving for jobs and school. Um, it's hard to get to, to daily mass. Uh, my husband took our two older children on vacation with our extended Doherty family a few weeks ago. And so I was home for the week with our youngest and down two kids. It was, it was a little easier to get to, to mass each day. We try to go a couple extra days a week in addition to Sunday, but just having Peter, the youngest, I was like, Ooh, I think we might make every day this week. So each day we'd hop in the car and say, okay, we're going to go see Jesus. We'll see Father. We'll see Emmy, Peter's godmother, who often goes to daily Mass. We'll see Joe, Emmy's mom, who's also at Mass. And after maybe like three or four days, we hopped in the car. I said, okay, we're going to go to Mass. Who are we going to see today? And he goes, no more church, Mommy. No more church. <laughs> so we have other uh, people and commitments to uh, contend with. Um, that sometimes make it a little hard to, to get to daily mass. But again, if, if we think like, wow, this is where we receive the source of life, life itself, um, why not try to receive that each and every day? 
Blessed Pure Giorgia Frassati, who's a, a favorite saint of mine and the namesake of our son Peter, was this vivacious Italian young man who lived in the first part of the 20th century. He was a hiker, a mountain climber. Uh, he loved poetry and performing in plays. And he was apparently the life of the party. He had this, this group of friends um, who spent a lot of time together doing all of these just really fun and unbeautiful things. And in addition to hiking, mountain climbing, you know, eating and drinking and and uh, kind of rabble rousing together, they would also quietly go around the the town of Turin, Italy, and serve the poor. Um, so do charitable charitable works. For Pier Giorgio Frassati, the the lifeblood of his charitable works and of his life. Um, so what what drove him was the Eucharist. He said that that was of prime importance to him, so much so that he would literally make it the first food of his day. So he uh, was a college student. He studied mining engineering. And because of his class schedule, um, taking the train into school, sometimes he wasn't able to receive the Eucharist until the end of the day at Mass. And so he wouldn't eat all day. Uh, so that the Eucharist could be his first food of the day. And in this, through this, he recognized that, that Jesus Christ, fully present in the Eucharist, was of prime importance to him. And his life uh, was modeled around that. Then the rest of his actions flowed from that. Because of this, he became this powerhouse for others to be united to Christ as well. Again, he would go around secretly doing this as such that his parents were unaware of how many lives he was touching. He was, he was from a, a very well-to-do Italian family. He was kind of um, being prepped by his father to take over La Stampa, this prestigious newspaper, and he died at a young age. And it wasn't until his funeral that his parents realized that he had been quietly serving um, all the people of, of Turin, Italy. So at his funeral, thousands showed up and his mom and dad, one by one, as they greeted people, were like, who, I'm sorry, who are you? Oh, your son brought me medicine each week. And who are you? Oh, your, your son, you know, delivered bread to my family each week. Who are you? Your, your son would bring the Eucharist to me because I was homebound. Just one after the next, um, people coming before Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati's mom and dad saying how this man fed by the Eucharist had connected each of them to, to Christ and the source of life and love. Paragraph 828 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, By canonizing some of the faithful, for example, by solemnly proclaiming that they practiced heroic virtue and lived in fidelity to God's grace, the Church recognizes the power of the spirit of holiness within her and sustains the hope of believers by proposing the saints to them as models and intercessors. So the church is holy, and as she strives for greater holiness, she canonizes, or as the catechism just said, solemnly proclaims men and women um, to be saints who practiced heroic virtue, faithfully responded to God's grace in their lives. She solemnly proclaims them to be saints. First, this recognizes the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through the church. And secondly, it sustains the hope of believers. So as the catechism says it offers for us models and intercessors, men and women to whom we can look as models, um, lives 
after which we may strive, and as intercessors. So people we can come to and say, blessed appear Giorgio Frassati, please help me draw closer to Christ as you were close to Christ. Please help me to place the Eucharist uh, first in my life as you place the Eucharist first in your life. So we all know that life is hard and once again, the church and the world look to be neither one nor holy. But in being connected to the Trinity, we can become so. We can become one with God, with each other, and holy. Let's take a moment this week, and like the Catechism says, let's look to the saints as models and intercessors. So if you have a particular saint, um, maybe you're named after a saint, maybe you have a, a saint you admire and love, ask that saint to help the church and the world and you in each so you as a part of the church, you as a part of the world, become one and holy. Become one with God and with others and to grow in holiness. Secondly, do a quick Google search of your saint and then the phrase the Eucharist and see if you can find a good quote uh, for reflection this week. If not, if your saint did not have a particular devotion to the Eucharist, then feel free to use this one from Pier Giorgio Frassati. I urge you with all the strength of my soul to approach the Eucharistic table as often as possible. Feed on this bread of the angels from which you will draw the strength to fight inner struggles, the struggles against passions and against all adversities, because Jesus Christ has promised to those who feed themselves with the most holy Eucharist, eternal life, and the necessary graces to obtain it. As an abbreviation of this quote from Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, you could focus on this line. Feed on this bread of the angels from which you will draw the strength to fight struggles. So blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, please help us this week to feed on this bread of the angels from which we will draw the strength to fight struggles. We'll now take a brief break and then return to read this week's selection from the Catechism, which is paragraphs 811 through 829. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 811 through 829. Paragraph 3, the Church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. This is the sole Church of Christ, which in the Creed we profess to be one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. These four characteristics, inseparably linked with each other, indicate essential features of the Church and her mission. The Church does not possess them of herself. It is Christ who, through the Holy Spirit, makes his Church one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, and it is he who calls her to realize each of these qualities. Only faith can recognize that the Church possesses these properties from her divine source. But their historical manifestations are signs that also speak clearly to human reason. As the First Vatican Council noted, the Church herself, with her marvelous propagation, eminent holiness, and inexhaustible fruitfulness in everything good, her Catholic unity and invincible stability, is a great and perpetual motive of credibility and an irrefutable witness of her divine mission. The Church is one. The sacred mystery of the Church's unity. The Church is one because of her source. 
The highest exemplar and source of this mystery is the unity in the Trinity of persons of one God, the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. The church is one because of her founder. For the word made flesh, the Prince of Peace, reconciled all men to God by the cross, restoring the unity of all in one people and one body. The church is one because of her soul. It is the Holy Spirit dwelling in those who believe and pervading and ruling over the entire church, who brings about that wonderful communion of the faithful and joins them together so intimately in Christ that he is the principle of the church's unity. Unity is of the essence of the church. What an astonishing mystery. There is one Father of the universe, one Logos of the universe, and also one Holy Spirit. Everywhere one in the same. There is also one virgin become mother, and I should like to call her church. From the beginning, this one church has been marked by a great diversity, which comes from both the variety of God's gifts and the diversity of those who receive them. Within the unity of the people of God, a multiplicity of peoples and cultures is gathered together. Among the church's members, there are different gifts, offices, conditions, and ways of life. Holding a rightful place in the communion of the church, there are also particular churches that retain their own traditions. The great richness of such diversity is not opposed to the church's unity. Yet sin and the burden of its consequences constantly threaten the gift of unity. And so the apostle has to exhort Christians to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What are these bonds of unity? Above all, charity binds everything together in perfect harmony. But the unity of the pilgrim church is also assured by visible bonds of communion. First, the profession of one faith received from the apostles. Second, the common celebration of divine worship, especially of the sacraments. Third, apostolic succession through the sacrament of holy orders, maintaining the fraternal concord of God's family. The sole church of Christ is that which our Savior, after his resurrection, entrusted to Peter's pastoral care, commissioning him and the other apostles to extend and rule it. This church, constituted and organized as a society in the present world, subsists in the Catholic Church which is governed by the successor of Peter and by the bishops in communion with him. The Second Vatican Council's decree on ecumenism explains, for it is through Christ's Catholic Church alone, which is the universal help toward salvation, that the fullness of the means of salvation can be obtained. It was the apostolic college alone, of which Peter is the head, that we believe that our Lord entrusted all the blessings of the new covenant, in order to establish on earth the one body of Christ into which all those should be fully incorporated who belong in any way to the people of God. Wounds to Unity In fact, in this one and only Church of God, from its very beginnings there arose certain rifts, which the Apostle strongly censures as damnable. But in subsequent centuries, much more serious dissensions appeared, and large communities became separated from full communion with the Catholic Church for which, often enough, men of both sides were to blame. The ruptures that wound the unity of Christ's body, here we must distinguish heresy, apostasy, and schism, do not occur without human sin. Where there are sins, there are also divisions, schisms, heresies, and disputes. Where there is virtue, however, there also are harmony and unity, from which arise the one heart and one soul of all believers. However, one cannot charge with the sin of the separation those who at present are born into these communities that resulted from such separation and in them are brought up in the faith of Christ, and the Catholic Church accepts them with respect and affection as brothers. All who have been justified by faith and baptism are incorporated into Christ. 
They therefore have a right to be called Christians, and with good reason are accepted as brothers in the Lord by the children of the Catholic Church. Furthermore, many elements of sanctification and of truth are found outside the visible confines of the Catholic Church. The written word of God, the life of grace, faith, hope, and charity, with the other interior gifts of the Holy Spirit, as well as visible elements. Christ's Spirit uses these churches and ecclesial communities as means of salvation, whose power derives from the fullness of grace and truth that Christ has entrusted to the Catholic Church. All these blessings come from Christ and lead to him and are in themselves calls to Catholic unity. Toward unity. Christ bestowed unity on his church from the beginning. This unity, we believe, subsists in the Catholic Church as something she can never lose, and we hope that it will continue to increase until the end of time. Christ always gives his church the gift of unity, but the church must always pray and work to maintain, reinforce, and perfect the unity that Christ wills for her. This is why Jesus himself prayed at the hour of his passion and does not cease praying to his Father for the unity of his disciples, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be one in us, so that the world may know that you have sent me. The desire to recover the unity of all Christians is a gift of Christ and a call of the Holy Spirit. Certain things are required in order to respond adequately to this call. A permanent renewal of the church in greater fidelity to her vocation. Such renewal is the driving force of the movement toward unity. Secondly, conversion of heart, as the faithful try to live holier lives according to the gospel, for it is the unfaithfulness of the members to Christ's gift which causes divisions. Thirdly, prayer in common, because change of heart and holiness of life, along with public prayer and private prayer for the unity of Christians, should be regarded as the soul of the whole ecumenical movement and merits the name spiritual ecumenism. Fraternal, excuse me, fourth, fraternal knowledge of each other. Fifth, ecumenical formation of the faithful and especially of priests. Sixth, dialogue among theologians and meetings among Christians of the different churches and communities. Seventh, collaboration among Christians in various areas of service to mankind. Human service is the idiomatic phrase. Concern for achieving unity involves the whole church, faithful, and clergy alike. But we must realize that this holy objective, the reconciliation of all Christians and the unity of the one and only Church of Christ, transcends human powers and gifts. That is why we place all our hope in the prayer of Christ for the Church, in the love of the Father for us, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Church is holy. The Church is held as a matter of faith to be unfailingly holy. This is because Christ, the Son of God, who with the Father and the Spirit is hailed as alone holy, loved the church as his bride, giving himself up for her so as to sanctify her. He joined her to himself as his body and endowed her with the gift of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. The church then is the holy people of God and her members are called saints. United with Christ, the church is sanctified by him. Through him and with him she becomes sanctifying. All the activities of the church are directed, as toward their end, to the sanctification of men in Christ and the glorification of God. It is in the church that the fullness of the means of salvation has been deposited. It is in her that by the grace of God we acquire holiness. The church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that, that is real though imperfect. In her members, perfect holiness is something yet to be acquired. Strengthened by so many and such great means of salvation, all the faithful, whatever their condition or state, though each in his own way, 
are called by the Lord to that perfection of sanctity by which the Father himself is perfect. Charity is the soul of the holiness to which all are called. It governs, shapes, and perfects all the means of sanctification. If the church was a body composed of different members, it couldn't lack the noblest of all. It must have a heart, and a heart burning with love. And I realized that this love alone was the true motive force which enabled the other members of the church to act. If it ceased to function, the apostles would forget to preach the gospel. The martyrs would refuse to shed their blood. Love, in fact, is the vocation which includes all others. It's a universe of its own, comprising all time and space. It's eternal. That comes from St. Therese of Lisieux. Christ, holy, innocent, and undefiled, knew nothing of sin, but came only to expiate the sins of the people. The church, however, clasping sinners to her bosom, at once holy and always in need of purification, follows constantly the path of penance and renewal. All members of the church, including her ministers, must acknowledge that they are sinners. In everyone, the weeds of sin will still be mixed with the good wheat of the gospel until the end of time. Hence, the church gathers sinners already caught up in Christ's salvation, but still on the way to holiness. The church is therefore holy, though having sinners in her midst, because she herself has no other life but the life of grace. If they live her life, her members are sanctified. If they move away from her life, they fall into sins and disorders that prevent the radiation of her sanctity. This is why she suffers and does penance for those offenses, of which she has the power to free her children through the blood of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. By canonizing some of the faithful, for example, by solemnly proclaiming that they practiced heroic virtue and lived in fidelity to God's grace, the Church recognizes the power of the Spirit of Holiness within her and sustains the hope of believers by proposing the saints to them as models and intercessors. The saints have always been the source and origin of renewal in the most difficult moments in the Church's history. Indeed, holiness is the hidden source and infallible measure of her apostolic activity and missionary zeal. But while in the Most Blessed Virgin, the Church has already reached that perfection, whereby she exists without spot or wrinkle, the faithful still strive to conquer sin and increase in holiness. And so they turn their eyes to Mary. In her, the Church is already the All-Holy. This brings us to the end of our episode of Catholic Light for the week. Thanks so much for joining me. Between now and next week's episode, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. And again, consider uh, looking to one of your favorite saints. If you don't have a favorite saint, consider doing a little research and looking to the life of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati. Ask for that saint to intercede for you this week to lift up your intentions, petitions, your thanksgivings to God through the intercession of this wonderful man or woman who walked closely with Christ. And then see if you can find a good quote um, or a good perspective your saint had on the Eucharist. Please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.